Good morning. This is Kurt Sumner, your host for NSPS Radio Hour. Thanks for joining us today. Always glad to have our listeners out on bright, Sunday, sunny Monday mornings or rainy Monday mornings, for that matter, or whenever you may be listening to the show, either through the through – the, uh, I'm losing my train of thought here – uh, the pod, the podcast. Uh, my guests today uh, are names that pretty much everybody will recognize. I think John Palatiello is with Palatiello and Associates, and his company is the government affairs consultant for NSPS. Um, along with John is JB Bird, who is our registered lobbyist in uh, Washington. So, John and JB, welcome. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you, Kurt. Also with us are Pat Smith, who's the chair of our uh, NSPS. Government Affairs Committee, and John Warren, who is, for lack of a better term, John, I'll just call you our PAC chair. Does that sound right? That sounds right. Thanks, Kurt. Uh, good. Uh, thank you all for joining us today, particularly you, John Warren. It's an early start for you today, or maybe you were at work already. I don't know, out on the on the West Coast, but thanks for joining us nonetheless. We wanted to have a conversation today about our program, and I don't know, maybe John P., you could start out a little bit and uh, talk about the program, and, and perhaps if there's anything that's kind of hot on the presses right now, or hot, right off the presses, that maybe you could share. Well, Kurt, uh, NSPS has had a government relations program since the late 1970s, early 1980s, and uh, has developed a very effective voice for the surveying profession in the halls of Congress and within the government agencies in Washington. And the uh, the interests of surveyors and the clients that they serve has been well represented, and um, the program has always been designed to... Uh, sort of defensively uh, try to take on issues that may adversely affect the profession and proactively look for opportunities to advance the profession of surveying, to enhance its image, to improve the economic well-being of surveyors, and uh, of course doing this in a way that serves the public interest and protects public health, welfare, and safety. So... uh, the program has looked a lot different over the years, and it has changed, and uh, in many respects, I think, improved. In the um, mid-1980s, NSPS added uh, another arrow in, in its quiver, if you will, when the what was then the ACS-NSPS PAC was created. Today, it's the NSPS PAC, and that's the political arm to support the government affairs efforts, whereby... Individual members of NSPS can make a personal contribution to the PAC. That money is pooled, and um, strategically and and tactically, contributions are made to candidates for federal office that um, support the goals and objectives of NSPS and have records of commitment and accomplishment on behalf of the surveying profession. So that's sort of the background of the the program that uh, all of us on this call today are involved in with regard to providing leadership to the members. You know, one of the things I'm not totally well-schooled on uh, all the way back to the beginnings of the the Government Affairs Program is, comparatively speaking, in terms of what what we're able to do and 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 how effective we can be, and and I raise that question, I raise that point because 
in the last ever how many years now, several years that we've been working directly with with you guys in this capacity. It seems as though we we're getting more to the proactive side than we used to be, but I don't know if that was true in the early days or if there was more, more proactive activities going on back in back then or not. I, and I know John, you were part of the program at at, at one point, so I, I did, I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Well, in the early days of the program, yes, I, I was the first full-time government affairs director for um, ACSM and NSPS. Uh, the organization had a consultant and then a law firm uh, prior to my employment. And uh, it was, in the early days, somewhat reactive and defensive. There were a few things that occurred that um, were not advantageous to the surveying profession, and that's really what caused then ACSM and then SPS to get involved in the business of government relations. Those were, um, after the Brooks Act was enacted in 1972, there were decisions uh, by the Comptroller General, which is a quasi-judicial process, uh, decisions that said that the Brooks Act did not apply to surveying contracts. The Surface Mining Act, if you'll recall, was enacted in the, in the late ni- mid-1970s, and with regard to uh, permits and applications on uh, surface mining, um, plans and cross-sections were uh, specified in legislation as having to be prepared by an engineer or a geologist, and the surveyor was left out. Um, those are two things that immediately come to my mind where the there was a need to be reactive and defensive and try to change some things that occurred that were adverse to the profession. And uh, there was work on those and other issues. Um, the third uh, that I recall now is um, some folks will remember the Federal Land Survey Act, which was uh, introduced because of some practices by the Bureau of Land Management that were not sensitive to state filing laws, that were not uh, in compliance with what licensed surveyors had to do and was creating problems, particularly in the western United States. And so initially the program was very reactive and defensive to try to fix some problems, but over the years, uh, I think you're right, the program has been transformed and now we're trying to promote uh, initiatives and opportunities that uh, that are more proactive and, and try to play more offense than just defense. Yeah, well, as you were going through the list there, I was I was thinking about, and we don't need to get into a long discussion about this necessarily, but you mentioned the Brooks Act, and and, and of course we're dealing with an issue right now that, that has a, a Brooks Act component to it. So I guess the point is... Um, you never finalize any issue. It seems <laughs> they just—they're out there, and they—they they come back maybe in different forms or, or uh, in, you know, in a different context sometimes. But that's all there's the more a, reason for being diligent. Well, there that, and that's exactly the point. There's a famous surveyor named Thomas Jefferson who once said that the eternal vigilance is the price of liberty, and that's really the hallmark of a, a good, effective government relations program. You do have to be diligent. You have to be vigilant. You, have to keep your eyes and ears open to things that are happening uh, to the profession to make sure that you're in a position to uh, make sure that policymakers and lawmakers do the right thing. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, part of that, of course, is is preparatory. I guess this may be a good word. Um, it's hard to just show up on the doorstep every time you have an issue without having any uh, conversation with those folks. And uh, that's from 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 my perspective, that's a hard harder thing to do. And maybe I'll, I'll jump over to JB for a moment because I know JB, you spend a, a whole lot of your time. Um, down on the hill and and around the whole DC uh, arena, not only talking with the legislators and their staffs, but you've you've been very instrumental in getting us involved in in other groups of people who have similar interests as us. And uh, so I don't know, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. I it, it, I don't I don't I don't envy your job necessarily, <laughs> but but I know you do a really good job at it, and you're really well suited to it. So maybe you could just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I thank you, Kurt. Um, part of my responsibility is to make sure that um, the NSPS membership's uh, points of view on legislation, regulation are heard within the Capitol Beltway, and especially in the halls of Congress. And so I'm normally up on Capitol Hill trying to interact with uh, members of Congress, senators, and their respective staffs. And um, so a lot of what I do, I take from, from um, Pat Smith's committee and try to translate it on Capitol Hill. And uh, now with uh, PAC Chairman John Warren, I have the opportunity to continue to represent NSPS um, at, at specific events on Capitol Hill where certainly a member of Congress or a senator will, will definitely be um, attending. Typically... When it comes to having the NSPS PAC represented, there are uh, events such as a, a breakfast, a lunch, a reception, or some kind of evening dinner where there will be opportunities for the voice of the NSPS PAC to be heard. That opens doors for me, uh, quite literally. Um, I will then be able to follow up specifically with the respective staff of those members and because they've either seen me sh- shaken our hand uh, and or had me uh, had provided me an opportunity to speak briefly about a certain issue or just in general mention and remind members of who NSPS is and what we stand for uh, politically and policy-wise, uh, it, it goes a long way. And... Um, so that's why I think it's incredibly helpful that this morning we're, we're all kind of linking, connecting the, the, the policy direction that Pat's uh, committee puts into play with the fundraising capability that John's uh, committee puts into play. And um, certainly uh, the tip of the spear, if you will, that's where the, 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 the NSPS PAC connects with policy. And, uh, again, my job is to uh, utilize the doors that the NSPS pack opens for me. I'm, I'm then allowed in, and then that's how the voice of the surveying profession gets represented in, in, in many ways. And then the follow-up uh, that I'm, I'm uh, in charge of, of providing. So, yes, uh, definitely up on the hill most days of the week. And um, appreciate um, a lot of the... Um, Direction that Pat and John's committees, respectively, provide for me. Yeah, I think that's uh, an important thing. I, and and again, you guys can speak to this. Maybe 
Pat and John even can speak to this as well. And we got a minute before break, so I'll kind of preface this going up to the break. But that whole concept, JB, that you mentioned in terms of having that proactive approach to having your name and our name known out there uh, in, in the right circles, I, I don't know how much of that actually occurs at state levels within our associations. Um, in, in my past history, it's always seemed like we were reacting to something, and oftentimes we were reacting, and nobody even had a clue who we were when we did react um, in, in my home state. And sometimes in the past, it seems that's the way we were with NSPS as well. So just that whole concept of, of a continual presence, I think, is really, really important and one that, that requires a, a attention from us on the on the member side as well as from you guys. So maybe we can talk about that a little bit when we come back to, to, to lead into our further conversation. So let's go to that first break and we'll be right back. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not... Get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for QuickStakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with our guest today. Uh, thank you all for being with us. Uh, I actually have uh, JB. Is 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 your first name John as well? It is Kurt. Wow! So I have three Johns and a Pat. So that's pretty good. So, <laughs> so I'll have to be. I'll have to call everybody out when I say John. I'll maybe I'll have to spell that one for between John Paltiel and John Ward. But before we went to break, you were you were talking about the kind of your day-to-day activities and how they have an impact and, and the fact that how important that is in terms of not just kind of showing up at the last minute when something goes on, but you sort of have a continual dialogue, and not that you're sitting in offices every day, but, but you do have that, that opportunity to do that, and, and we could 
talk about that a little bit more. But one of the other things I want you to talk about is I know you do an awful lot of work, um, uh, really positive work for us in getting us involved in in other groups. You know, hi- historically, uh, I think NSPS members are kind of familiar with with cough pace, um, at least the ones who are politically uh, astute or interested, I should say, in the, the federal side know about cough pace, and that's been a really great organization for us designed kind of for one specific purpose. But you've done a lot of work uh, in getting us involved with, with other coalition coalitions or those types of groups that I think is beneficial to us as well. I, I remember when we were talking about uh, Light Squared the first time around, uh, some of those coalitions that you had, had worked on kind of, I won't say came to our defense, but at least were, I think, helpful. So maybe you could talk about that. Sure, Kurt, thank you. Uh, yes, coalitions, when NSPS joins a coalition, it's very targeted, and one of the goals is to actually, um, uh, it's tough to actually catch everything on the Hill. There's so much going on, and one of the best ways to leverage um, opportunities and resources is for NSPS to um, broadcast itself out to coalitions where there's like-minded um, policy points of view. And um, so I, I literally have a, a brief list of um, coalitions I'll briefly touch upon where NSPS is, if not um, participating, in, in, in some cases is leading the coalition. Uh, and, and the goal is to leverage a wide variety of other, say, professional societies or trade associations think tanks, policy groups, um, all around uh, a single-purpose issue. So uh, a couple that come to mind, you, you mentioned the light squared one, and there may be a new uh, 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 need for that original coalition to be, to be reconstituted, but uh, we are trying to work with remnants of that um, coalition to be aware of the newest version of light squared and we'll keep the membership up to speed on that as, as that progresses. Uh, a lot of um, uh, surveyors are very are already very aware of the USGS 3D elevation program, known as 3DEP. And the USGS has reached out to NSPS to help literally grow the coalition of end user groups for elevation data and specifically enhanced elevation data through LIDAR data collection. And there's quite um, a listing of potential groups. When USGS put together a, a market plan for the, the 3DEP program, they identified over 600 different business uses and public benefits uh, to elevation data nationwide. Uh, National Flood Insurance Program and the generic term infrastructure were the top two but certainly there's a plethora of other um, uh, benefits to the end users out there, whether they're familiar with surveying, mapping, and geospatial or not. They, de- they tend to benefit, and it's our best interest to broadcast 3DAP and to bring as many of these end user groups on board supporting 3DAP. In fact, um, next week on Capitol Hill, uh, USGS, uh, in working with the USGS Coalition, is organizing... Uh, and we'll host a 3DAP congressional briefing on the Hill uh, to help uh, educate uh, not only members of Congress but the congressional staff as well as authorization and appropriation committee members to help build support for 3DAP 
um, behind the scenes. And that's going to be very helpful because the National Flood Insurance Program uh, is connected to 3DAP between FEMA and USGS. And uh, it's very, very much important that the authorizers and the appropriators for those respective programs are also on the same page. So whenever NSPS can leverage 3DAP and bring attention to the program and the benefits, uh, that creates market opportunities for NSPS members. Another coalition that is very relevant these days uh, is the Business Coalition for Fair Competition, which NSPS is a member of and helps to lead behind the scenes. And the connection there is the federal prison industry reform issue. Uh, and we've spoken at length previously on that, on, on why NSPS is a member. And, um, and it's still very relevant uh, considering the unfair competition that uh, federal prison industries provides uh, in, in the case of uh, surveying, mapping, uh, GIS services, and the connected opportunities markets there, but also the access to privileged or um, data that should not be available to prisoners. But uh, it's one of those cases, again, it's a professional affront to, uh, to surveyors, but also a market uh, issue as well. Um, most recently, there's a growing need and growing recognition about having a, a new version of a White House conference on small business. And NSPS is leading the charge. Uh, I think we have roughly 65, maybe 70 different trade associations or professional societies that are teaming up with NSPS behind the scenes uh, to uh, push the Trump administration to um, to authorize the next version of a White House conference on small business. The last one was in 1995, so we think it's long overdue that the voice of the small business community be um, heard not only at the state-based and regional-based level, but also, in fact, at the White House. And so not only has NSPS co-signed a letter to the Trump administration asking for an executive order to do so, but we are working proactively in Congress with members to introduce a bill, and we hope to have some good news uh, soon on that. Uh, so those are a few of those potential um, uh, ongoing coalitions. And, and Kurt, you mentioned cough pace. Uh, another one I'll briefly touch upon is the Construction Industry Procurement Coalition that NSBS is an active member in. And primarily the two issues there, it is very much connected to qualifications-based selection, QBS, but the connection uh, also extends into design-build procurement at the federal level as well as reverse auctions. And uh, those are just a few examples of some of the uh, coalitions that NSPS is, if not leading, then is a very active uh, member. And, and again, the goal is to... Um, actively leverage uh, coalition partners' uh, expertise and power on the Hill to sing the same tune as the NSPS policy. And that really is a great way to um, get the attention of federal agencies and the executive branch of government as well as the legislative branch and uh, to amplify the NSPS voice on Capitol Hill. You know, another part of that uh, has always been 
some some things that we do pretty well, like with NGS, for example, we have a good coalition with them, or at least a relationship with them, where we meet on a regular basis and talk through issues and help each other out and promote programs and what have you. Um, but I, I, I know there are other opportunities to do that. Of course, we, we're involved somewhat with FEMA and have somebody on the on the TMAC now, and 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 of course, then there's the the geospatial group that it's harder for us to get people on, but. Just from the perspective of we have lots of partners, if you will, or, or people we, we have relationships with for the kind of things you're talking about, JB, um, and maybe you and John both would, would want to chime in on this a little bit, but the whole idea of having our, I don't know if relationships is the right word, or, or at least a presence where we're, we're known and recognized in, in the agencies themselves when issues come up would seem to me a really important thing. and. And so maybe you could talk about that just a little bit. Sure, uh, Kurt. Um, another one that's very relevant and um, from last week I forgot to mention in the last segment was the um, Digital Coast Partnership, of which NSBS is officially not a member of the partnership, but when it comes to advocacy on Capitol Hill, NSBS has been leading that coalition. And uh, from experience with uh, John Pelletiello and myself attended uh, a briefing on Capitol Hill last week, and it was it was a rare opportunity to have so many uh, officials from within uh, NOAA's uh, Digital Coast Project and the folks running the the project behind the scenes in attendance. It was a true uh, uh, example of a, a positive public-private partnership. Uh, where Digital Coast uh, and NOAA work very closely with a wide variety of stakeholders. And the, the common link was uh, NOAA reached out to NSPS and to John Pelletiello and, and to me to help put together that briefing on Capitol Hill. In fact, we were a part of at least two, maybe three conference calls in advance. And uh, by all accounts, the event went very well. Uh, it was held at the, inside the Capitol Visitor Center, and so uh, a wide variety of both House staffers as well as Senate staffers attended, and uh, just a great example again of getting the, the great work, great word out, and seeing um, not only a, 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 a model P3, but how does NOAA work behind the scenes with NSPS closely and a lot of the other um, partnership members to make a positive pitch to those folks that are in a position on Capitol Hill to advocate and actually take action on the NSPS points of view. So uh, to me, that was the most uh, relevant example last week of where NSPS weighed in, took a couple weeks to put together the program with NOAA's backing, and um, I think there was a, a very clear and concise message that was heard uh, on the Hill as a result of that. Kurt, let me add something to that and also um, take a little bit of a different, um, uh, a little bit of a, a tangent on your question, and that is um, NSPS also has very strong ongoing relationships with BLM, uh, with NGS, which of course is part of NOAA, but a different part of NOAA from that which is uh, pursuing the, the digital coast. And so there are a variety of agencies where they have significant surveying capabilities or they have programs that are very important to surveyors. And, and NSPS is certainly well-known and has very strong relationships and, in fact, has members 
that work in those agencies. So those are are very strong. But with regard to relationships, and, and this John, is something we're going to have to break. Want. We're going to have to break in about fifteen seconds. So okay. B- before you Let's get started, come back and talk uh, about relationships we'll, when we come back. Then yeah, we'll come back and do that, and then uh, have a couple of other questions, and then of course we want to get to how how we and our members help in this effort. So we'll be back in a couple minutes. Quick stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Quickstakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quickstakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quickstakes. Did you know that quickstakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quickstakes, your back-friendly stake. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. So, John, you were starting to say something when I realized we were going to break, so we'll come back and, and let you continue on. Well, you made mention, Kurt, of relationships, and I think something uh, should be pointed out that I think is significant to the relationships that we have in Washington, and that's the fact that a lot of those relationships between particularly members of Congress and surveyors really goes back to the state and local level. Uh, A great many folks that are elected to the Congress or to the Senate have held some office at the state or local level. They've been a governor, they've been a state legislator, they've been a city councilman, a county commissioner, or something of that nature. And um, Or they've been in private business. And in many, many instances, they've had some relationship with surveyors. So they, they bring those life experiences with them, whether they're in government or in business. And I, I think I think John Warren and, and Pat can comment on that, um, and I know JB can, um, because he's always telling me about encountering a member of Congress or a candidate who tells a story about 
how they worked with surveyors. And so it's, um, you know, those are very important relationships, and I think it points to the effectiveness, number one, of our state organizations and the government affairs programs that they have with their state legislatures. And number two, I think that's a testament to our uh, 100% membership program and how we have a much stronger relationship now between the state surveying societies and NSPS. And, and as I said, those, those relationships carry forward and carry up to when folks are elected to Congress. I think that's important to point out. Yeah, that's true. As a matter of fact, there was a recent issue where um, I, I, I know we had folks from Ohio and Kansas, I believe, that attended some sessions in their state. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Yes, that was a little different, uh, not necessarily legislative, but the uh, Small Business Administration um, was holding some uh, and is still scheduling town hall meetings with small business owners to hear about issues of concern, and we worked with our state organizations to line up individual members to go to those town hall meetings and talk about issues. Uh, One um, in particular was with regard to our ongoing uh, issue on the Davis-Bacon Act. But those are examples of where members at the local level and working with our uh, state organizations can help uh, be integrated into our national government affairs program, and that enhances our effectiveness. Very true. Um, I I wanted to jump to something else, and I don't want to leave anything behind JB or John, either one, or, or Pat and John Warney. Also, if you want to uh, talk about these things we've been discussing, but one of the things that always seems to to come up, or I shouldn't say always, but pretty regularly come up, are issues where uh, we either ask, well, um, you know, you guys are uh, sort of the QBS uh, watchers, so to speak, if that's the right terminology, but uh, in terms of when QBS should be used and it isn't used, and uh, and oftentimes we depend on members to let us know that that's going on. Uh, so uh, it's a never-ending battle, it seems. And so I guess the question that comes into people's minds sometimes is, well, how can this continue to be an issue when it's been the law of the land all these years? And uh, there's obviously an answer for that, but maybe you could talk about that a little bit because it does come up pretty often in conversation. Well, it does come up often, and we do have a, a program where um, – uh, I kind of call it, if you see something, say something. And if a uh, NSPS member sees a government procurement that is on a bid basis and um, they believe the law requires that it should be a qualifications-based selection, uh, that member contacts you, Kurt, you bring it to my attention, and, and we have a standard polite letter that we will send to that contracting office and remind them of what the law and the regulations are. And uh, we've got a very good batting average in getting those reversed. Um, In my judgment, the law is pretty clear. Uh, In my judgment, the regulations less so, and that's what gives rise to these these episodes of individual contracts that may not um, be procured properly. And so uh, it is an ongoing issue. But uh, and that's the reason why we have, for example qualifications-based selection language in the FLARE Act, our Federal Land Inventory Bill. There is qualifications-based selection language um, in the Digital Coast Bill that J.B. mentioned a few moments ago. 
we're working to try to get um, qualifications-based selection language in the infrastructure bill that the Congress and the Trump administration are developing, the FAA bill that is before Congress this year, the uh, FEMA flood mapping and flood insurance program reform bill. So every opportunity we have uh, as legislation is moving through Congress where it is going to create a demand for surveying and mapping services, we use that as an opportunity to try to advance and clarify the use of qualifications-based selection. Um, as our listeners know, uh, most states have a mini Brooks Act or a mini QBS law. So for their state agencies, uh, that should apply by and large. Um, so we're trying to partner with that, uh, make it more effective, and make sure that that uh, professional selection process is what is being used. We also have the Geospatial Data Act that is pending before Congress that's created some controversy. Again, that has QBS language in it to continue something that NSPS and ACSM before it and, and as a member of COFPACE, uh, the profession has been working on for 30-plus uh, years, so it's not a new issue. But it's been sort of a foundation issue for NSPS for, for all these decades, and it's an issue where we've worked very closely over the years with mapping firms, with architects, with engineers. So the, the, um, the community has had a very strong consensus for, for quite some time on this. Do you think the, the fact that with technology changing the way it is and continually changing and uh, the ability to gather and process information is enhanced far beyond um, surveyors or uh, and engineers, architects, what, whatever the case may be. But it almost seems like the fact that the same kind of attitude seems to be out there about contracting with the government to do work as it does sometimes at the local level where somebody says, well, I have a GPS unit so I can go get a position, and it's very uh, obviously it's accurate because it's precise. Um, it, it seems to me that, that that almost makes it, more difficult these days just because the, the thought outside of our professional community seems to be, well, this makes all the difference in the world, and all those old rules and all old licensing laws are not relevant anymore. It seems as I, I hear that more often. I think that's a great question more for, for John Warren and, and for Pat Smith. I'll just preface it by saying there is still a critical public health, welfare, and safety implication to what a surveyor does, regardless of the technology. So, um, you know, the argument for, for licensure, the argument for qualifications in procurement, I think, is even stronger today than it was in the past because with digital data, that data can be abused. And because uh, of the point that you make, Kurt, about, um, you know, just because there is um, precision with an instrument, that doesn't mean that uh, it results in accuracy of data, and there could be some severe consequences to, uh, to misapplication. But um, uh, I'll leave that one. I think that's a good one for Pat or for John. So, so John P., I, this Pat, I agree perfectly with you. It, it's technology has brought to the forefront the fact that, that a lot of people can do things that, that were limited just to the surveying and mapping and, and engineering professions in the past. Um, so I think it it's, behooves us as, as the association representing our members 
to continue to push forward with quality-based selection. And that's what it boils down to. Um, much easier on, on, on the, the public sector side where we have, you know, the Brooks Act in place and many Brooks Acts at the state levels to get federal and state agencies to recognize the need for quality-based selection. It becomes less prevalent on the private sector side, and that's where we have to rely on our members and us as representatives of our members to, to make everybody understand that, that technology doesn't replace quality, you know, and the ability to provide quality. So, you know, it's going to continue to be a twofold front uh, from here on out, and, and technology just makes it more more prevalent and and almost, in a sense, throws it back in our face on a daily basis. John Warren, you have any thought on that? Uh, yeah, I would just echo what, what Pat has to say. It, it uh, The digital makes it that much harder to discern between uh, precision and accuracy and quality and quantity. Uh, it's like Pat was saying in the past, there were fewer uh, practicing in, in that area of GPS and positioning technology and Thanks to the advances in technology, many more people that are operating in that area making it difficult to tell the difference between uh, professional-based qualification selection and just a, a low-cost bidder, which, you know, we're in the business protecting the public health, safety, and welfare, and, and that's the, the critical part. Um, and I think it would it might be worthwhile to say that uh, cough pace uh, is really our connection but if you if you spot any uh, violations of the QBS system going on just make contact with uh, John Paltiello and cough pace forces will make that contact uh, from there so that you don't have to contact the association or the agency directly is is that, is that right John that's correct um, generally what folks do is contact Kurt uh, at NSPS and he will let me know and um, yes we can make an inquiry or uh, try to provide some clarification to that agency and the uh, identity of that um, of that uh, surveyor who has raised this issue is uh, is kept anonymous so uh, it's a it's a petition that's done on behalf of all of CoughPace including NSPS and individual names are left out. Yeah, I think that's important to get that word out there because people forget uh, that it really is, uh, uh, protects them. It's that easy to do, and uh, normally a lot of times the agencies are just not aware of the situation. Well, as we, uh, we're in within the last minute of this segment, so when we come back we want to talk about how we get surveyors in general and particularly our members more involved in our efforts to to stand up for them the only thing i will add to that last conversation is it seems to me that i'm beginning to hear more conversation about questioning the relevance of licensing laws uh, because they're seen they're seen to be over overreaching um, which obviously we don't agree with but it seems as though i hear more of that today than i've heard in the past and that that's a bit troubling uh, uh, when when that begins to happen. I mean, the QBS obviously is is really important to us, uh, but so is the whole kind of undermining, if you will, or trying to of the licensing law. So we we may or may not want to talk about that when we come back. But I did want to add that. So let's go to break, and we'll come back in a couple minutes. Quick stakes. 
is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. This is Dr. Elena George with your health tip of the day. Did you know that dizziness may be a sign of heart disease, iron deficiency, high or low blood pressure, low blood sugar, or an inner ear infection? Dizziness can be take the form of a spinning sensation, also known as vertigo, or a feeling of lightheadedness. The individual can also feel faint or have a rapid heartbeat. If you take high blood pressure medication, remember to take the medication daily as directed to control your blood pressure. Diabetics must remember to eat after taking their medication and to eat at regular intervals. If you have anemia, make sure to take a multivitamin that contains iron and to eat vegetables such as spinach. Dizziness after a cold or flu may be due to a virus. If you have dizziness, it is important to see your doctor for a complete physical examination. Please join me Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for Medicine on Call. This is Dr. Elena George. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We spent our first three segments talking about issues, uh, reasons why we need uh, a PAC and why we need advocacy within NSPS. I want to spend this next segment, particularly with Pat and John, to talk about how we get our members engaged and why that's important. So, Pat, maybe you want to start off. Sure. I appreciate it, Kirk. So kind of going back to the very first part of the segment when we were discussing the history of, of ACSM, NSPS, governmental affairs, and the PAC, and we were talking about reactive and, and proactive. And, and I think we've become a much more proactive association when it comes to governmental affairs due to a lot of things we discussed throughout the call, the issues that seem to be coming up all the time. Um JB's presence on the Hill, you know, it's a lot easier to see what's coming due to technology and allows us to be tuned in, and the fact that our membership base has grown to what it is, and our members are now bringing issues to us uh, through their interactions at the state level or the fact they're paying attention to things at the federal level and, and reacting to the reports that come out from JB and John P. So the true key here is to maintain that proactive nature uh, and get ahead of the curve as opposed to being answering questions after the fact. And how do we do that? Well, you heard a lot of that leading up to this is the involvement and the ability to have the presence and the attention of people on the Hill, and that leads into why do we have a PAC? And I'm going to let John, John Warren talk about the nature of the PAC and why it's so important 
that we have that capability to send JB to these functions, make the contributions that we make to maintain that proactive nature. So, so John, uh, tell us about the PAC a little bit. Well, thank you, Pat. Um, you're right. Uh, the, the importance of maintaining that attention with the representative uh, in all sorts of ways. Uh, certainly one of them is to be able to attend uh, campaign and contribution type of events, uh, which also gives you access to the uh, representative when you need to, uh, when you're actually dealing with them with the bills and, and becoming, like you say, proactive, at being ahead of it instead of reactive from the behind. And, uh, and the the PAC is, uh, is our connection with that. It, it's run very, I believe, very effectively and anonymously in the sense that um, if the contribution request comes to the committee, I send it out to the committee to get approval before we make uh, any of our contributions. Uh, we're um, at a level that we need to build from, and I will be coming to our, our fall meeting here just uh, next week with some ideas uh, for some contests on uh, how to raise some money. Uh, my goal, uh, it might be a bit lofty at this time, but uh, my goal is to raise $100,000 for our PAC. I think uh, JB would probably could make use good use of that money. Is that right, JB? Yes, indeed, John. Okay, Lots well, of good use. <laughs> what I, I want to do is, of course, I'll, I'll talk about how how easy it really is to uh, to send money to the PAC. Uh, I've been doing it for the past, I think, in the vicinity of 10 or 12 years, uh, and just sending uh, $50 every two weeks um, out of my bill pay account. So I never really notice it. It just goes out all the time. And, you know, before you know it, you've got uh, $1,200 there. Uh, that I probably couldn't spend the 1200 initially, but a little bit at a time you can. And if we had that much uh, from all of our members, uh, uh, what that might, what that could do. So I want to talk about that uh, state our state contest and see if we can't come up with a raffle or auction uh, way of raising uh, some additional funds. Um, maybe uh, rattle off a. Uh, a week at a condo in Hawaii or something like that. See if our members could uh, get interested. So $100,000 sounds like a, a really ideal goal, John. I think that would give us the largest balance that I can remember that we've ever had in the PAC account. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to convince our members. Our members want results from Governmental Affairs Committee um, but yet, at the same time, we need the assistance from our members. Um, I read a newsletter article the other day that, uh, you know, one of the other larger uh, associations that represents uh, engineering companies uh, was uh, proud of the fact that they put $30 million in their pack this year. Well, <laughs> you know, yes. uh, there, there's a big difference, and, and we recognize that fact, but I think in order to maintain that proactive nature and achieve the goals that, that our membership uh, wants us to achieve, we, we need for our membership to step up and, and make 
the PAC donations to get us to the level where we can truly be effective. Yeah, and, and uh, I believe we can, and uh, we've also ra- trying to raise the level of our awareness of our PAC with the uh, Jefferson uh, dinner or breakfast that we've had joining the Jefferson Club for that. Uh, we've always had access to representatives when we go back there for our spring uh, lobby day. Uh, that's also important I, uh, that we want to mention how quickly that has grown, I believe, uh, in our connection having a, an effect. I know I do. Every year I go to meet our representatives. Uh, they know us now. Uh, they see us walking in the hallways. They know who we are. It's, it's made a difference, and I, I think also important to remind our members to make contact to their representatives when they're back in their districts. Uh, they love you to get tell visited our, by them. What can you tell our, our listeners about the Platt program? Well, I'll take that one, uh, Kurt. This is John Palafiello. This is actually a program that I implemented uh, when I was on the ACSM staff back in the 1980s. And PLAT stands for Political and Legislative Alert Team. And uh, we have a form, an online form on the NSPS website for any NSPS member to fill out to tell us a little bit about themselves and any member of Congress, uh, House of Representatives or Senator, with whom a surveyor has a relationship, either as a constituent, a business relationship, uh, uh, engagement at the state or local level that I mentioned before, um, so that we know who in NSPS knows their congressmen or senators. And that's a team that we can activate and mobilize and get involved when an issue comes up in Congress, when we need surveyors to contact a member of Congress for or against a certain bill or for or against a certain amendment. We can activate that uh, based on uh, a very targeted effort um, of those members who have a relationship. Sometimes one phone call can be more effective than 100 phone calls if we know who that one person is. And that's what that system is all about. So it's grassroots political engagement on the part of our members to advance the the interests of, of surveyors. Another thing that I don't know, maybe Pat or or John Warner, or actually you, John, if you wish, uh, talk about a little bit is the fact that being a a nonprofit organization, actually, obviously the PAC is, but so is NSPS, actually. So that has some impact on, you know, we just can't take any money we get and throw it into this. So it it means we have to find ways to get, get help. Well, two things. One is the PAC is what's called a separate segregated fund. That's the legal term. So it's it's separate from NSPS uh, because NSPS money, dues money, money from the sale of books, money from conference registration fees, those funds cannot be used for contributions to candidates for those political purposes. That's why the law allows an organization like NSPS to create a separate PAC. So it's it's very different. Um, the nonprofit status really doesn't um, come into play. Nonprofits can have PACs. Nonprofits can lobby. Um, if you're in a certain designation, a 501c3, you cannot um, uh, have it as a primary uh, activity. But um, everything that NSPS does, obviously, in this realm is is um, in compliance with every letter of the law, but the PAC is set up for individual surveyors to make a contribution. That money is then pooled 
and the PAC money is used to make contributions to candidates. Now, I said individual uh, contributions. So a, a surveyor who is incorporated, you cannot use corporate money as a contribution to the PAC. It has to be your own personal individual uh, money. But um, it's the power of, uh, of numbers and people working together within the profession towards a, a common goal and objective. Pat and John, in our last couple of minutes, any other tips for our members on how they can participate? Um, no, I think we've pretty well covered it. The, the, the PLAT program, so that, so that we have that targeted response when we need it. Um, communications to either you, Kurt, or directly to John P. or JB or myself, you know, as the Governmental Affairs Committee on pressing issues that they think we need to know about, and we have discovered some that, you know, that our members brought to our attention. Um, just that interaction, and, and to follow up on what uh, John P. said, you know, the PAC. It's individual donations. So, you know, an ideal thing would be is if every member, current member of NSPS gave $2, um, achieving that $100,000 goal would be a very easy thing to do. Yeah, speaking of giving, John Warren, I uh, want to make sure I thank you for, for all you do, and you you are uh, among a relatively small group of people who who do um, uh, donate every year, and and some of them at the, in the same manner which you do, but it's so important for moving ahead, and, and we need to find ways to get more of our members involved in it, because as you've all pointed out, this is a an individual donation kind of situation, so... Um, it's it's so important for us to be able to continue to have the kind of presence that we've been able to have uh, and help support what John uh, John P and and JB are doing for us because the the work they put in is is extraordinary uh, particularly considering all the things that are out there and and they do a really good job for us but we still need that other help because without the the money and the pack. There's a lot of things we just can't do. So I want to thank all of you for being with me today. We have about 40 seconds left, so I don't know if anybody has a, a heavy thing on their heart they want to talk about for 15 seconds. But but uh, I do appreciate you guys joining me today and having this conversation. I think it's I think it's really, really important for us to do this on some regular basis and not necessarily just on the radio show but in, in what we put out in our newsletter and what have you. So. Thanks to all of you for. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. It's-